Welcome to the podcast of Tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. This is our episode number 123, recorded on June 25th, 2019. Today we are going to talk about Miro's mega round, about the fight against Airbnb, about Fiverr experience and more. We have also prepared a pre-recorded interview with Patrick Backman and Nicholas Rosenberg of Open Ocean VC. I am your host, Andrei Degeler, joined today, as usual, by our research lead, Natalie Novik. Hi, Natalie. How is it going? Hi, Andrei. It's going well. How are things in Norway? Yeah, the things are pretty good in general. So I am currently at uh, the Startup Extreme uh, conference in the city called Voss. And that's a pretty small uh, uh, town in uh, Norway. And I, I have to say that the country is absolutely beautiful. I have never, ever been here before. And uh, we drove uh, uh, here from Oslo and... Um, some views uh, were just breathtaking. Uh, I'm really, uh, really impressed. And the conference itself is uh, quite interesting. It, uh, uh, the feeling is that the whole ecosystem of uh, Norway uh, has uh, come together and uh, everyone I talk to, they just first they mention someone to me and then say, oh yeah, right, this person is actually here. And I mean, I heard this from a few different people about uh, uh, very many different people. So I do think that this is, uh, this kind of says that uh, this is indeed a good uh, event that has become sort of a central point uh, for for the ecosystem. Also, since it's called Startup Extreme, uh, there were some extreme activities uh, yesterday. I participated <laughs> in the rafting. Uh, also, it was my good. first time and I'm uh, also a quite uh, uh, quite happy about that. Well, that sounds great. And you and Robin are heading somewhere very interesting tomorrow. Where are you heading? Yeah, finally, uh, I was really looking forward to this for a long time. And uh, tomorrow I will see Robin at a Pirate Summit. Uh, actually, tomorrow is not a... Uh, uh, tomorrow morning, uh, the day will start not with a pirate summit, but with another event that's called Movers and Shakers. So that's uh, an event for ecosystem builders that uh, precedes the pirate summit. And then the pirate summit uh, event itself uh, will start. I'm uh, very happy to be there again uh, this year. It's always a great experience. Uh, the event is uh, focused on uh, founders. Uh, first of all, it gathers a bunch of really nice people. And it's always very useful and brings a lot of interesting stories. Yeah, I, I'm very sad to miss it again this year, but I hope you'll bring back lots of great interviews and lots of great takes from the event for all of us on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely, we'll do. I will, I will, I will do my best. And uh, it is indeed sad that you're not here this year. So hopefully next year we shall come there, all three of us together. Yeah, I, I just wish that they they changed the timing of the event, and it used to be in September, and that was just so much more convenient for me but i guess this works out better for them so yeah but the weather um, now is much better we're in the middle of a heat wave uh, in that part of europe actually it's really funny because right now where i am it's like plus 15 and it's uh, raining uh, almost all the time and uh, and tomorrow in cologne it's going to be plus 30 something and we're going to slowly melt uh, in the outdoor setting of pirate summit <laughs> Well, stay safe out there. I will um, enjoy my um, 13 Celsius over here um, and um, drink lots of water. 
Yeah, yeah. I will. I will set reminders to drink water and reapply the sunscreen every couple of hours. <laughs> yes, sunscreen very important. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's talk about the stories uh, from the past week, and uh, I will start uh, uh, with uh, something that's uh, becoming a sort of. Uh, Tradition for uh, for the podcast. I'm going to talk about uh, the biggest uh, deal of uh, last week, and uh, I do actually find it interesting uh, because in most cases, uh, looking at this mega rounds uh, kind of uh, allows you to see where the bulk of the VC money is going across Europe. And last week, uh, it was the photography on demand startup called Miro uh, that scored 230 million US dollars in funding to become France's next unicorn. So the company itself is based in Paris uh, with additional offices in New York, uh, Shanghai, uh, Tokyo, and uh, Bangalore. It uh, employs a total of 600 people, of whom 80 people are in the technical team. Now, it took me a while really to understand what exactly uh, Miro is doing, and uh, here is a short uh, summary for the uninitiated. So the main idea behind Miro is to build an um, on-demand platform for photo shoots uh, with the target audience uh, being mostly companies that need loads of images uh, taken uh, for uh, for their platform. So a few examples here would be companies like Just Eat or Expedia or Trivago or Uber Eats or Airbnb, uh, for example. And these companies are actually already among the clients of uh, uh, Miro. And in total, uh, the company says that it has 31,000 uh, customers across the world, as well as a community of 58,000 photographers. Now, the next question, of course, is uh, what are the 80 people in the tech team uh, working on? And first of all, uh, the answer is that uh, they're building a proprietary AI tool, which, according to Miro, allows the photographers on the platform to save a lot of time when processing the photos. So I haven't seen the tool. I don't really... I don't necessarily understand exactly how it does it, but I suppose it uh, kind of uh, helps not only process the photos, but also to keep the consistency within the photo shoot on a on a high level, which is uh, quite important uh, for many of the companies that use a lot of uh, pictures on their platforms and uh, in their products. So it uh, the company also said uh, now uh, that it will double the headcount and uh, bring it to 1,200 people uh, by the end of this year. And the tech team, uh, Mira wants to extend it from uh, 80 uh, to 300 people. Now, uh, in addition to what it, what it has, uh, Mira also adds a sort of a CRM system uh, for photographers uh, to its platform and uh, marketing tools. So as far as I understand, it just wants to become sort of an end-to-end -end solution uh, for a photographer the, being the place where where they uh, uh, find uh, clients and then uh, do the photo shoots, uh, uh, edit the photos, deliver them, uh, invoice their clients, and get paid. Uh, so, uh, but uh, an interesting piece of news as well is that uh, uh, with this funding, uh, Miro is also about to open the platform to individual customers. So, in the future, actually, you would be able to order a photo shoot of just your private party or your own wedding or your 
your own dog uh, on the platform and uh, have this on-demand uh, photography services available uh, to you as a private customer. Uh, also, there must be something in the air in Europe. There must have been something uh, last week for sure, because on the same day as Miro made the announcement, a very similar German startup called Lemon One also raised funding. As it often happens in Germany, it did not disclose the actual size of the funding, but it's probably a smaller round uh, than Miro had. But anyway, this looked like an interesting niche uh, for uh, European startups, and uh, I think we should definitely uh, keep an eye on it and see uh, whether any new players uh, come up and uh, where the mural would be going. So that's really exciting and great news for France uh, with a new unicorn being born there. I wonder whether it uh, has anything to do uh, also with the changes uh, that uh, France has seen within its ecosystem and the regulations and uh, everything uh, over the past couple of years, but it, it might be a manifestation of the success of this effort. Yeah, and this company has a lot of potential to be very disruptive to how traditionally photo shoots are booked and, and the, the platforms that, that are existing um, already in this market. So if anything, there's been a lot more attention on France and French startups lately, and tons and tons of money is going to France in, in their tech industry. So it's a really great outcome for them. Yeah. To be entirely honest, I actually have no idea how photo shoots are normally booked in this uh, sort of uh, uh, enterprise setting. So there's been a few efforts to kind of disrupt this segment, but it still is dominated by local players and greater, uh, better pictures and more picture, good picture quality is a real need for a lot of these platforms that you mentioned, Expedia, Airbnb, all these different yeah, things. Yeah, so yeah. I think, I think it really um, is an example of how uh, technology is actually helping create a, a new market and new opportunities for photographers, uh, which, which is really exciting. Right. So, Natalie, what was your story for the week? This week, um, with the travel holiday season, really, it's like kicking off in full swing. I thought it'd be a good time to talk about Airbnb. I know we talk about Airbnb <laughs> on um, the podcast um, pretty regularly, but there has been a few really interesting developments happening in Europe that I wanted to share uh, and something that a lot of us use. So Airbnb, of course, while being wildly successful has been in Europe, it's been subject to considerable lawsuits, scrutiny, and blame for a lot of things across the continent, mostly uh, for contributing to housing shortages in crowded European cities. But despite frequent criticism of the company, it seems that few things have uh, have really impacted Airbnb in a negative way um, moving across Europe as a, as the a company is reaching more and more homes and flats than ever before. Today, there are a number of prop tech companies that have been completely developed to help investors buy lists and rent out properties on Airbnb. So it's created a secondary market and a lot of creation of a number of different startups. So many cities, while encouraging the tourism benefits of Airbnb, have been looking at the impacts of the company in a bit of a more nuanced way in response to a lot of this criticism. So there is increasingly more research done on how Airbnb affects housing availability and prices in cities. 
And at the end of April, a lawsuit brought against the company in Paris decided that French authorities could not apply the country's real estate law to Airbnb. The reasoning found that Airbnb was considered to be a digital service and not a real estate company. So at the time on the podcast, Andre, you shared how the decision by one of the European Court of Justice's Advocates General or in other words, a pretty senior level judge uh, was a huge win for the company. And the timing of that decision couldn't have been a better start for the summer travel season for Airbnb. Or at least that was the case until last week, when 10 cities, so Amsterdam, Barcelona, Berlin, Bordeaux, which not a city, but a region, but anyways, uh, Brussels, Krakow, Munich, Paris, Valencia, and Vienna co-signed a joint letter advocating that the, quote, explosive growth of Airbnb and other related platforms must be on the agenda for the next set of European commissioners. In the letter, they reference the damaging effect of the April 30th decision. And I'll quote here, and it's kind of a long quote, but I think it's important. So uh, the quote begins, the threats and risks for the social and livable configuration of our cities are evident. European cities believe that homes should be used first and foremost for living in. Many cities suffer from a serious housing shortage where homes can be used more lucratively for renting out to tourists, they disappear from the traditional housing market. Prices are driven up even further and housing of citizens who live and work in our cities is hampered. Cities must protect the public interest and eliminate the adverse effects of short-term holiday rental in various ways. More nuisances, feelings of insecurity, and a touristification of their neighborhoods is not what our residents want. End quote. The letter goes on to say that the data being collected by rental platforms, such as Airbnb, should be shared with municipalities, and that there needs to be stronger protections and obligations for platforms to cooperate with cities. So as the new commissioners take up their positions, it remains uncertain what exactly will happen here. Uh, There hasn't really been a response to the letter from the commission yet, but it's clear that the impact of Airbnb in Europe is considerable. The Guardian reports that Airbnb currently has more than 18,000 listings in Amsterdam and Barcelona, and that's despite efforts by both of those cities to limit the availability of flats um, offered on the platform. There's over 22,000 listings in Berlin and almost 60,000 listings in Paris. So this is a topic that that I like talking about because where I live in Edinburgh, it's a place that's particularly hard hit by Airbnb. And there's one Airbnb estimated for every 48 residents. And some have suggested it's amongst the highest Airbnb density in Europe. And there's, it's a city with no Airbnb regulation at all. And while Edinburgh didn't sign on to the letter, and it's actually been postulated that the government um, in Scotland is in somewhat in cahoots with the tech giant, um, that's not confirmed, but there's a lot of speculation about it. Does it mean that things are fine and dandy? So what you actually is seeing is 
citizens have been taking matters into their own hands. There's a lot of frustration about kind of the growth of Airbnb in the city. So what you're seeing now is residents are wantonly destroying lockboxes and key safes that are outside of buildings. And in some cases, they're proudly reporting their vigilanteism on social media and getting a lot of support from others in the community. And for a city that depends heavily on tourism, I think we have 13 different international festivals um, in 12 months um, in Edinburgh. Managing the situation is something that could certainly be done better. And many residents are upset and there really doesn't seem to be any sort of solution here. So, of course, around Europe, braver municipalities have worked to regulate things with varying levels of success. But across the continent, regulation remains uneven. So that's part of the reason why these huge um, international cities have really come to the commission to really advocate for themselves. So maybe this letter is the start of some action at the European level to better manage things when it comes to holiday lettings. The commission hasn't been afraid to show its teeth when it comes to regulating other tech giants. So hopefully in the next session, we'll see some movement there. And it's something that um, we'll continue to, to follow with interest. So Andre, are you staying in an Airbnb over in Norway right now? No, no, I'm actually in a hotel uh, now and I will be staying in a hotel in Cologne, but I do stay uh, in Airbnbs a lot, especially when I'm traveling uh, for like leisure purposes. Uh, I do think that it's a, it's a good thing. It's really, it's really a hard situation. I mean, I can't, uh, I can't formulate a take that would sort of support one side in this, in this, uh, conversation because uh, from one hand i do see how uh, all this touristification uh, kind of ruins the city for its own citizens on the other hand uh, if people own certain properties they are free to uh, do what they please with those properties so it, it, but what, what does surprise me by the way is that uh, still municipalities apparently have not been able to make airbnb uh, share the data with them like for example in amsterdam uh, we have these uh, quotas right so you are not allowed to uh, rent uh, your place uh, on airbnb for more than 30 nights uh, per year but at the same time as far as i understand there is no way uh, for the for the government for the authorities to know for sure how many nights uh, you actually uh, did that for and uh, they basically encourage the people to separately register this airbnb time on the municipality website but they cannot get the data from airbnb directly Right. And this is one of the main criticisms that these cities have, because without the data and without this knowledge sharing, they actually aren't in a position to regulate and actually enforce their laws. And I find this interesting because some U.S. municipalities actually have a very different approach. San Francisco is one example where you actually have Airbnb working with the city to regulate the platforms and New York as well. And both of these cities um, early on in Airbnb's development uh, were very kind of strong about uh, preventing the platform from coming into the city and making Airbnb lettings illegal. So that actually turned into an ongoing conversation where Airbnb and the city were working together and sharing the information so that the city could regulate and enforce 
some of these laws, but that hasn't happened in Europe. So hopefully um, this actually has some merit and this letter actually leads to some sort of change and it will give municipalities more power to to uh, legislate and also to uh, regulate some of the activities that they have with with holiday lettings. And I think it's a very difficult um, question that that you allude to because a lot of people in Europe have really benefited from these sort of holiday letting platforms. So many people I know are, are using Airbnb to let out flats, but also there's a lot of people, uh, myself included, that have had really bad experiences with Airbnb lettings um, in their buildings and in their neighborhoods. So I think, I think um, more uh, conversation about this is very necessary. Right. Yeah, I was I was more fortunate in this case. I have never had any the any of experiences of uh, negative uh, kind uh, with uh, Airbnb properties uh, in uh, in in my like neighborhood or my uh, building. So, not not sure whether this would have changed. Uh, the way that I'm looking at the situation. But what I also see, however, is a, sort of a hypocrisy, I would say, on Airbnb's part, because every time you read a press release, any statement uh, from Airbnb about Europe, they would always say that they are working together with the cities and they are happy to uh, do what it takes uh, to regulate uh, the platform and uh, do the right thing uh, uh, by the cities. But apparently it's not the case. If you are not sharing this data, then you are not uh, doing uh, doing what you should do. Right, right. And and that's something that, that the letter alludes to, that basically there is information sharing if Airbnb feels like it, um, but it is not consistent and um, is very uneven. Yeah, so. this is certainly something that probably should be uh, regulated in a bit of a better way, and there must be more conscious approach on Airbnb's side. Definitely. Now, let us move on to the interview of the week recorded by uh, no one else but Natalie herself. And this one is uh, with uh, Patrick Beckman and Nicholas Rosenberg of Open Ocean VC. Let us uh, listen to it together and uh, then we'll continue with uh, events and uh, recommendations for this week's episode. Good afternoon. Thank you both so much for agreeing to sit down with me for a few minutes. Um, if you first could introduce yourselves and, and tell us who you're representing here. Yes, so I'm Patrick Beckman. I'm managing partner of Open Ocean. We're a European VC investing in data intensive B2B software throughout Europe. And uh, we have a background from MySQL and MariaDB database companies. So we were key persons and founders of the two companies. And, and uh, thus, we, we have a good view into the data innovation happening in Europe and, and, and happy to, to work with the founders in, in Europe and invest and, and help them scale global companies. Uh, and my name is uh, Niklas Rosenberg. I'm the uh, COO of OpenOcean. So making sure that all of the boring stuff gets done with enthusiasm at OpenOcean, but uh, also being fortunate enough to, to be able to take part of the investment team and, and uh, participate in deal flow to some extent. Excellent. And can you guys tell us a little bit about some of the companies and verticals that you're really interested in investing in and where you see Europe as having unique qualities that really make it stand out? 
So I think engineering-wise, Europe is is really strong. There's a strong educational system on tech in Europe. So and then then actually where we invest is, as I said, data-intensive software. Probably where 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 something really innovative is done around the data under the hood with good kind of architecture and and structures and algorithms, but then packaged in a way where where you have an exciting product that scales really well, uh, where it's easy to attract users to use it, where it provides quick value, uh, where it's yeah, engaging and, and uh, positive and exciting and, and has a possibility to spread uh, internationally and, and then where we can help commercialize on that uh, opportunity and build a striving company with a lot of revenues. But to your question of verticals, we're quite actually agnostic. We, of course, have, have deep th- investment thesis and, and, and thoughts around a number of verticals, but 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 we're quite open-minded where it comes to, to, to what specifically the, 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 the end application, typically applications, typically in, in kind of um, you know, B2B software, so productivity and, 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 and uh, uh, different kind of, of other business use cases. Yeah, sure. So, so one of the interesting things, of course, with uh, the, the development that has taken place in Europe is that the European uh, startup uh, ecosystem is much more mature at the moment uh, than, than compared to, let's say, 10 or 15 years ago. So, so you could build a great software business almost uh, in, in any kind of vertical. So, so that, that's a great, great development that's taken place. And yes, like Patrick mentioned, within Open Ocean, we are quite open to kind of any domain. Perhaps one thing that, that I could add to, to what Patrick just said was that we, of course, like to look very much at the, the kind of uh, enablers of, of uh, disruption in this data-intensive new world. So, so clearly, I mean, some of the enabling technologies are, well, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence, of course, but there are many other, other things also, like, like, for example, you have recommendation engines and, and automation and, and you have open source technologies where you, 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 you have digitalization of the world and, and you have, you have a number of other enabling forces that are really driving this pretty massive change in, in how we are using data to make better predictions and analytics and, and in the end customer experiences. So th- those are the, the things that we are very much looking into. And then I would say one big change that has happened in the last 10 years. So we, we launched our first fund actually eight years ago. And in the first fund, many of the founders were kind of new founders, new first time founders, where, where it was a kind of challenge to find experience, uh, to the teams, uh, whereas this, that has completely changed in the last, uh, last few years. Now, most of our, our recent investments have, are, are run by serial ent- entrepreneurs who have done a few companies before. They can instantly think bigger and more globally. And and they have developed products that 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 can fit kind of a, a much broader audience from the start. Uh, that's very impressive. And then when you want to recruit to these teams nowadays, there's a possibility to to recruit key persons to the teams that have been part of European kind of success scaling stories before, or even abroad as Europeans in in the US typically. And you can can kind of bring bring them home if if if, if, if these companies stay in Europe. But but you can uh, get talent that 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 can move. So you know as a group the teams can move so much faster now than, than 10 years ago. So what are the signifiers that make a company really stand out to you that make it look like you say, you know, this will be a great fit for open ocean. 
well, it's a combination of many things. First, it's it's of course the team has to be exciting, uh, and 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 typically kind of in their respective fields have some unique skill set and and uh, proven ability to do something something uh, new and and extraordinary. Then uh, that's typically combined with a vision that hey they can they see that hey grad- of, typically in the beginning they have yes an initial product so to say, but they have a view of hey gradually this is what we will build. This is the dream. This is how we will change the world in this field. Uh, and that is something that is really stands out. And, and you can see, you know, when, when we see that, then, then we, we, we kind of <laughs> become interested to, to dig deeper. Then when we dig deeper, of course, it comes to the, you know, initial product, initial product market fit, uh, how it distributed in the world. Uh, we typically try to refrain from, from, from going into more the classical enterprise selling, but try to find ways where the, the ex- kind of exciting data intensive product can be distributed in a, in a kind of very effective, uh, scalable way. So that that even you know thousands or even millions of users can t- take adopt that technology even in a self serve mode initially in some form to start using it. Whereas w- when we meet these companies, we can already see that hey, it, this initial product provides some value. There's some some real uptake and growth in the usage. There's some engagement data we can see that we that really demonstrates uh, that it's providing value. We can talk to users and see that it provides value, uh, and we can we can you know together with the teams then model that, hey, if we start now to uh, you know, invest in this and, and uh, develop this company in the, in the different different functions, uh, we can actually yes, get a, a company that can grow grow in a very exciting way, both getting more adoption, more usage, uh, more better conversion, better you know, revenue, better upsell of new product tiers and so forth. And then we can, can kind of build a unified, together with the founders, a unified view of, hey, this is, you know, do these steps in the next few years should, should you know, enable us to become a really exciting company one additional thing that might be might be interesting to mention here is that as we are very much focusing on data intensive uh, business uh, software companies in particular then then naturally uh, when we are looking deeper into into companies and and really evaluating them uh, then in addition to all of these you know pretty traditional things uh, and, and some of them Patrick already mentioned like like you know product market fit and, and uh, size of the market and team and all of those things uh, w- one key element in this evaluation is to really look at the company uh, from from a kind of a data evaluation perspective and that means in in practice that really trying to understand that that does the company have a data strategy and 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 have, uh, how does the company uh, you know collect data at the moment what, what kind of inf- infrastructure is there in place how are, are they, how are they, are they cleaning up their data and and, uh, and what is their you know thinking of, of how to use data in the future in a sense and also then understanding that how 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 are they uh, driving the business themselves uh, by using data in a smart way so so that goes into understanding you know their their KPIs and uh, metrics that they are using and so forth excellent so we're here at pioneers and you just did a master class and you'll be speaking tomorrow tonight actually tonight. Uh, or later this afternoon or at 5 p.m yeah. okay wonderful um you gonna give us a few takeaways <laughs> Of, um, of your of your talk this afternoon. Well, it will, it will focus on on how to scale, uh, you know, companies 
10x to 50x, but it's spoken from a VC perspective. So typically when we invest in a company, it has about a million in, in close, close to a million in ARR. Um, and then, then, uh, scaling that to in a couple of years to, to, to 10 million threshold and then further to 50 million. And, and there's a, a lot of different things that we look at, uh, when we meet companies to assess, do they have the capability, uh, to go for that 10x and even the 50x? And in the end, you know, it all, all builds to our kind of, <laughs> how we assess companies and look at companies and so forth. So a combination of what I mentioned here, I mean, team, team and, and vision and initial product and, and the way they go to market and how they convert and how they, they scale and how they build revenue. But but it's a, a you know overview of, of this thinking um, uh, of how we work uh, to a bit, of course, educate the startups here that, that hey, what are investors really thinking of and how, how do they view, look at the world when we have experience, of course, of, of hundreds of, of you know companies we have evaluated in detail then uh, then it's of course an interactive session so i want to to make it pretty interactive and 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 uh get to get the startups and uh, to ask and contribute their own thinking and 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 ask their own questions and 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 uh and get a good 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 session going so to say excellent and are you uh, investing all across europe or are there specific geographies that you're all across europe uh, we even have a small pocket for outside of europe but it's it's uh we have used it once but but uh, for opportunistic when it really comes something that 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 finds we find extraordinary and 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 very different from from what exists, but otherwise we try to focus on on, on European B two B software companies. If I remember correctly, across our portfolio, we have now investments in nine different European countries. Right, right. But but I would say that half of them then already now start to have significant business and traction in the US. So that's that's still the the dominant kind of strategy to scale. Uh, but of course, some some are focusing also on Asia and, and and China. There's there's some great opportunities there. They're increasing all the time. Wonderful. And say a startup is listening to this and they they hear hear your talk. They've been at your um, conversation today and they say, you know, I think I'd be a great fit for Open Ocean. How is the best way for them to get in touch with you? They can email me at patrick at openocean.vc or it's Patrick with K, P A T R I K, uh, or the Nicholas with the. But uh, is the cold email the best way of getting? We, we do look at them. So if it's, it's, uh, we, we, we absolutely can do that. Uh, of course, through some intro of, of, you know, we, we have contacts to most incubators and other VCs and investors in, in Europe. So somebody probably knows us, but, but you can, you know, also call, call contact us. We, we do look at, at all them at, uh, you know, cases we get and, and glance through uh, so so yeah, that works and just in closing um, what is the most exciting thing uh, possibility uh, that big data um, you see on the horizon it's a good question to try to find, identify one thing that is you know uh, coming up I think uh, what we haven't seen yet that much is is kind of mobile first b2b uh, software you know that you use on a mobile phone that really brings in data from uh, all the operational things uh, in the big com- companies uh, in a tailored way to the different uh, employees and decision makers and managers in the company I think there will be some exciting tools uh, coming up in in the future uh, because of the way you know how do you more and more data is being gathered and can be utilized in a smart way 
way and 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 cr- you know cross analyze you can find relationships and 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 meaning meaningfulness from from that data flow that's one thing that i i see that that should be coming i mean in five years you know the professional manager should be using uh should be using some mobile software for running their business in a whole different way than than happening today no i think in general the amount of data that we are gathering uh every day is just so 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 massive at the moment and and and, and you can throw out so many different statistics uh, that that it's almost mind boggling but 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 clearly uh data is uh, still a massive untapped uh, opportunity as well and and we think that that data will disrupt basically every industry on this planet and uh we want to be there of course looking at those software businesses that are really riding this uh, uh, opportunity and, and and riding this wave and, and and then of course being part of supporting their their journey in, in creating something data intensive that really changes the way we do business or or changes the way we live our lives wonderful well thank you both so much for your time today right. thank, thank you, you. Hello, welcome back to the podcast of tech.eu, episode number 123. Uh, thanks a lot, Natalie, for recording uh, this uh, great uh, interview with Patrick and Nicholas. I really enjoyed uh, listening to this. Now, what events uh, should we expect uh, coming next, uh, apart, of course, from uh, Pirate Summit, which I'm going to tomorrow? Right. So looking into July, the event season is um, slowing down a little bit as people head to their holidays. But of course, The big event at the start of July takes place um, from July 2nd through the 5th in Berlin. And that, of course, is Tech Open Air or TOA for short. And TOA is a pretty unique event. And it's almost kind of taking the tech event to the festival style where, of course, there's a main conference area. But what makes TOA really great is the 120 different satellite events happening in and around the city. And Berlin, I just always find it, of course, is it comes alive over the summer. And TOA is a big part of that, really kind of the kickoff. And it, it will welcome over 20,000 people at its events um, beginning of July this year. And of course, there's talks, inspiration and networking really on all themes in tech and startups that you can imagine, and a real buffet of activities. So there's something that's really for everyone. And if you're looking for a great holiday um, to Berlin, I couldn't think of a better time Um, to visit. So I encourage you to check that out and some of the things that are going on here. And then we're going to shift gears a little bit from July 8th and 9th um, in Athens is the Hellenic Data Management Symposium, which takes place for the 17th time. So it's it's a very interesting thing. There's a real great um, depth of data talent um, in Greece, and it's the annual forum for the Greek database community to present and discuss recent advances in data intensive applications and enterprise technology. But what makes this year pretty unique is for the first time, they're opening the meeting to the Greek startup community. So they've invited successful startups from Greek founders, as well as successful Greek VCs to participate in the conference with presentations and posters that's really dedicated to Greek startup sessions. And there's also a panel on entrepreneurship. And this is one of the first times that something like this has happened in Greece. Most of their tech events deal with different types of software or or um, very technology-focused, 
or they're for developers. So this is a very exciting um, event that's really celebrating the startup scene. And it's a very positive move. And I'm really excited that it's happening. And the startup ecosystem in Greece is one that I find very special, but one that a lot of people um, don't have a lot of familiarity with. So I'm very excited um, that this event is really opening up um, the ecosystem to outsiders. But these are just a few things on the calendar. And if you're looking for more things to do this month or next, do check out the events section of our website. And of course, always, if you have a suggestion to add, please let us know at the link in the show notes. And we'll be sure to put that on our calendar as well. Great. To be entirely honest, the main thing I'm uh, looking forward to next month is being mostly free of uh, traveling obligations and uh, catching up with uh, with some work uh, back home <laughs> and and there's and it's great that there is time for that too um it's good when things calm down a little bit because it can be so hard to get stuff done when when you're moving from place to place quite a lot so totally understand yeah absolutely yeah, and I think it's also it's also kind of cultivating this new sort of anxiety that uh, I think uh, a lot of people have uh, when you just when you have this uh, sort of a social network uh, of uh, people who often uh, go to these events in different capacities, and then you just keep seeing people posting photos and uh, reports uh, uh, from those sort of events, and you and you are just home, and uh, the fear of missing out is uh, kicking in real strong. I have to say. Oh, definitely. And I'm feeling it very bad this week with uh, Pirate Summit. Um, so I hope you all have such a great time there. Um, and it will always be, it's always such a great event. Um, but I will be feeling very left out. Thank you so much, Natalie. We will definitely drink a Radler for you. <laughs> I would appreciate it. Stay hydrated. <laughs> Will do. Now, let us move on to the recommendation part of the podcast. And uh, I will start uh, with the piece that uh, talks about, um, that is related to, that is, uh, to another big story of the past couple of weeks, uh, which is the IPO of Fiverr. That's an Israeli company that's become sort of a freelance marketplace uh, for lots of digital tasks and chores, uh, from uh, writing to design to sound editing to recording, uh, you name it. And I'm pretty sure you know it, so I'm just explaining explaining just in case so my today's recommendation is a story about an experiment uh, that the journalists at uh, quartz uh, conducted in order to better understand fiverr and uh, uh, what it does and what it can be used for so what they did is they hired several freelancers on fiverr to write a quick news story about fiverr's ipo uh, and uh, the story would be similar to what we would normally run on uh, TechU. so a few hundred uh, words which just describes uh, uh, the IPO with a little bit of uh, analysis or uh, or, or quote. Now, I don't want to spoil the results and the conclusions of the piece, uh, so I can only say that I kind of guessed uh, what would happen next uh, when I started reading the story, and uh, also the main conclusion here, I think, that uh, you generally uh, get what you pay for. But do check it out. Uh, I will just stop here and uh, let you uh, read it to yourselves. Uh, it's totally worth uh, checking out, and I will put uh, a link to the piece in the show notes. 
And I'll just add that that piece is hilarious. What actually happens? <laughs> uh, I read this independent of, of you, Andrew, putting this um, on the recommendations this week. And it is really such a great read. And courts, they have a daily newsletter, which is excellent. So um, if you haven't um, checked out some of their writing and their analysis, um, I encourage you um, to check out that piece that Andrea suggested. It's, it's a really good one. Um, and um, maybe sign up for their newsletter as well because it's very good. I, I shall do that. Do that too. I, I don't, I'm not a subscriber of the newsletter yet. So, Natalie, more Airbnb goodness from you, isn't it? Yeah. So, I was researching this story about Airbnb, and I think sometimes pictures are worth a thousand words. And data, of course, especially for me uh, with the background research background, is more valuable than anything. So, I want to share a really interesting site, which is called Inside Airbnb, which is put on by an independent group that's working to make Airbnb data public and accessible for cities and other interested people. And so they're not affiliated with Airbnb. Indeed, I imagine the fact that they exist probably pisses Airbnb off quite a bit. But what they do is they kind of take all of Airbnb's listings and they align them on a map and they let you see, really visualize where these listings are in cities. Um, and they make the data accessible so you can download it and use it for your own purposes. But when you're looking at these maps, you can see some of the impact that certain policies like Amsterdam's restrictions have on renting whole properties, for example, have about the availability of Airbnbs. And it's a very addictive to kind of search through the different cities and look at kind of where exactly the Airbnbs are. Maybe it's helpful if you're looking for a flat or looking to, to buy um, a property. Um, and no matter <laughs> where you fall on the debate, it's so interesting to have a look kind of um, to see this visualization of, of where all of these things are. Um, and I put a link in the show notes of some of the interesting, um, some of the interesting maps that they've done. Uh, but. I think it is very striking when you hear uh, reports that say, well, there's nearly 60,000 Airbnb listings in Paris. And then when you take this and you put this on a map of where they are located and what kind of amenities these different properties have, um, it does kind of put you, uh, it, it does bring it home in a different way. So I thought that was very fascinating and really encourage you to have a look uh, because it is, it is, very interesting to, to, to see kind of where, where they all are located. And you can definitely see the Airbnb that is across the hallway from me in Edinburgh that has given us so much grief. Oh man, I played uh, with this thing for, uh, for for a few minutes uh, before we started recording, and uh, I really it was really hard to stop. That, <laughs> yeah. that, that's for sure. I was just uh, l looking at uh, Amsterdam and just uh, looking at different uh, sort of uh, ways uh, to look at the uh, at the way uh, the properties are offered. I only have like one question: Do you think it is GDPR compliant at all? Um, I'm not sure. But I think because it's done um, for research purposes and that there is not a business case behind it, and because also the uh, Airbnb listings where they collect the data is uh, is in the public domain already, I think it, it, it may be. But of course, sometimes with these borderline cases, it's hard to tell. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think it's all right, but I would generally recommend and maybe I will do this myself to download this data while it's available. 
I am, I'm afraid that either Airbnb or somebody else would find a way to uh, shut this thing down. It, it's just too good to be uh, there for uh, for a long time. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> Now, this is it for this podcast. I think it's a great way to finish it up. I uh, hope you enjoyed listening to us today. If you are not a subscriber yet, do subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're listening on iTunes, please take a minute now to leave us a review. This will help others find the show and uh, will mean the world to us. Tell a friend or colleague for whom it is relevant about this podcast and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse. That's sound Pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at andre at tech.eu and natalie at tech.eu. Natalie, thank you so much for joining today. Thanks for getting up early again because of my crazy schedule and our big time difference. No worries. And thanks so much for having me this week and enjoy your time at the Pirate Summit. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week and talk to you next Wednesday. Bye-bye.